Good morning. Welcome to Wyatt. Uh, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. We'll be finishing up this chapter uh, this morning. Uh, as you turn there, I want to let you know that we have a uh, Membership Matters class scheduled for next Sunday. Uh, and so if you're uh, a guest and uh, you just want to know a little bit more about our church, it doesn't mean you're going to become a member but it's just kind of more of a deep dive into who we are, what we believe, uh, those sorts of things, how we're set up. Um, that Membership Matters class is a great way to do that. If you're heading towards membership, then it's definitely uh, a step that you need to take uh, to know who we are. Uh, and that class takes place during our Sunday school hour and then for about an hour or two um, after the service. Uh, on Sunday, and uh, we feed you breakfast and, and lunch, so it's a good deal for you, um, and we'll get you home in time to, to take a Sunday nap after you eat all that good food. Um, and so if you're interested in Membership Matters, there's a place on the connection card that's in the bulletin. You can tear that off and, and just mark Membership, uh, put that in the offering plate as it comes by later. You can call our office tomorrow and sign up. Uh, you can even get on the website at Wyatt. Uh, church.com and sign up there but uh, we would love to have a, a big class uh, this summer so John chapter 13 we'll start reading with verse 31 it says this when he had gone out okay that's talking about Judas last week we we saw that Judas went out into the night to betray him to betray Christ, and so that's why it starts uh, in verse 31 with when He had gone out. Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and glorify Him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek Me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. <coughs> A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. You will follow afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Now, sometimes uh, I'll come up with the title of the sermon. I'll give it to Miss Nona. She'll print it in the bulletins, and then I realized that wasn't the right title. Uh, and so this morning I entitled it, Love as Christ has Loved. And that is a main point in this text, but the deeper, uh, the, the, the more broad uh, uh, context is that Jesus is preparing them for His departure. Uh, now that Judas has went out into the night, now Jesus has the eleven that are just truly with Him, they, they truly are, are believing in Him. And what He's going to do is He's going to talk to them concerning His departure, that He does have to go away, and He's going to talk to them about what they need to know. 
<coughs> and, uh, and the reality is, is that the next four chapters is just that. That's what's, the next four chapters in John are Jesus just in this di- ongoing dialogue telling his disciples, this is what's gonna happen, this is what you need to know now that we're at the end, now that we're at, now that as John says, his hour has come. And so, concerning his, I want to look at, at different ways, uh, different things he wants us to know, and he wanted his disciples to know concerning his departure. First, concerning his departure, Jesus wants them to know that it is a moment of glorification for the Father and the Son. The first thing I want us to notice is that glorification, he wants us to know is that the glorification is good. Like what's about to happen to him is going to be ugly. It's going to be brutal. But he wants them to know that this is not my defeat. What you're not going to witness is not my defeat, not me being taken out of the world, but you're going to be witnessing my glorification. It's going to be a good thing. And then we see here that the glorification is immediate. Nothing is, is hanging in the air. No aspect of what is about to happen is uncertain. Now I'm being glorified. He says there, now is the Son of Man glorified. And so we see here that it is immediate. It's not like it's a soldier that, that's going out on a mission. He says, man, if I complete this mission, then maybe I can get the Medal of Honor. It's not. It's, it's certain. As sure as He is speaking it in this, this moment, these things are going to happen. This shows the great power of God that there is just a certainty that once Christ has decided to fulfill the mission, it's as good as fulfilled. He is, once He's decided to seek His glorification through the cross, it's done. This is what Job meant when he said uh, in, in Job 42.2, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Satan will try to thwart this plan, but it will be his demise. And again, what is the glorification that is happening right now? It is, what is this glorification that is full and completed? It is his work on the cross. It is his obedience in life, his death on the cross. It is his resurrection. In his righteous life, we see his glorification of the law of God. That he, he, he says through his obedience that the laws of God are good. We see in his death, uh, we see the glorification of the love of God that he is willing to bruise, to lay down uh, the life of his son so that, that he might be able to, to make us holy. In his resurrection, of course, we see the glorification of the power of God that He can defeat death. And so we see this certain glorification. We see also that this glorification is shared. Jesus is, is, is clear that the glorification that is happening it is a shared glorification between He and the Father. Look at verse 31 and 32 again. It's almost confusing how mingled the things are here. It says, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and glorify Him at once. This isn't God half-heartedly sending His Son to save us. He's fully on board. This isn't the Son half-heartedly going to His glorification. It is both of them 
involved in this wonderful glorification. It's them sharing. They're both sharing in this amazing moment. But you know what is even more staggering is that not only is this glorification shared between the Father and the Son, it's also shared with us. As Romans 8.29 says, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also what? Glorified. So, we are even being invited in. Not that we are becoming gods. No. But that God is bringing us into the glory of Christ. That He's bringing us in Christ. And so, we will get to enjoy an eternity that is devoid of the curse of sin. We will be glorified with glorified bodies and that will be eternal. What an amazing, unselfish God that we serve that's willing to just share. Share His glory. The Father and the Son and the Spirit share glory with one another and then they invite us in into that glory. What glorious security and self-sufficiency is displayed there. Jesus also, concerning His departure, wants them to know that He must take this journey alone. After declaring that the time of His glorification is now, He gives them the sobering news that He's about to leave them. He's about to go away. Think about this for a moment. I mean, in many ways to us, the cross is old news. We've been around church any, we know about the cross and we know that we know what happened. We know that Christ died on the cross and then He was resurrected. Uh, then He went back to heaven where He now sits at the right hand of God. It's old news. But the disciples at this moment, they could not fathom that this is how Christ was going to be glorified. They, they couldn't fathom it. And so this news to them, imagine them saying, imagine... Jesus saying to them, I'm, I'm going away. And they would have thought, man, we're just getting started, Jesus. We're just, man, the, the miracles have getting, gotten bigger. The crowds have gotten bigger. People are really starting to believe we're just getting started and you're going to go away? It would have made no sense to them. But He says to them in verse 33, Little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You will ask Me, or I'm sorry, you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. Jesus had already spoken of his going away. He had, uh, in two instances, talking to a crowd of Jews, a crowd of unbelieving Jews, had told them, look, I'm going away. We see this in, uh, back in chapter 7, verse 34. He says, you will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. <clears throat> Chapter 8, verse 21, he also said, so he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot go. I mean, this is rough for him to say to the disciples something similar that he was saying to unbelieving Jews. I mean, he had told the unbelieving Jews, you're going to die in your sin because you won't be able to find me. I mean, what, what, what painful news this would be to the disciples that they would be spoken of in the same way He spoke to the unbelievers. But we'll see as this 
dialogue continues next week, and we'll even see here, we even see here in our text this morning that he's actually saying something different to the disciples. He says in verse 36, after Simon Peter says, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. You notice the difference with the rebellious Jews. He had said to them, you cannot follow me. You're going to die in your sins. There's no hope because in that moment they were unbelieving. But to his disciples, he's saying, look, it's temporary. I'm going away, but I'll, you will be with me. You will come and be with me in my, in, in my key in, in heaven. And though that there's a moment of separation that will be difficult for you disciples, it's not permanent. And so I think the application that, that we need to take from, from this particular section is, is this, is that folks, I think we should love life on this earth. I love my family. I love being with my family. I love my house. Um, I love being home. I love this city, okay? There are things maybe we don't prefer in our city. Maybe we say most of the fast food service is not Chick-fil-A quality. And we can complain about that. There are things that, that we would change about El Dorado. But I believe that when you are somewhere, when you are wherever you are, you need to be there and you need to love your home. You need to love your city. You need to act in a way that benefits your, your city. Love them. Make it better. Wherever you work or, or wherever you go to school, make it better. Because it's good. It's our home. But we must never, ever forget that it's our temporary home. That, it, that our home, it's not our home with Christ. We are strangers and aliens until we are at home with Christ. Let us never get so comfortable in this world that we forget that is where our true home is. The world is good, but it's broken. And it will only finally be fixed. It will only finally be realized when we are with Christ. This is our final hope. So love our city but long to be with Christ. Long to, be, long to follow Him where He has gone. Thirdly, concerning His departure, Jesus wants them to know that they are to love one another as He has loved. Jesus not only gives them the sobering, sobering news that, that He's leaving, He begins to give them instruction of how He wants them to live their lives while He's gone. And this is what he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you, are all, you also are to love one another. This is one of those statements that you could tell a kid and they understand it. But when you really break down what is said here, it's, it takes a lifetime to master this kind of love. A love that reflects Christ. And so it's just one of these beautiful statements that are is both simple and incredibly profound and hard to do. I think we need to ask ourselves first, is, is this a new command? 
is this really? I mean, it says a new command I give you. But is it, is it, it's not as if the Old Testament never told us to love one another, right? Is it devoid of commandments to love one another? I mean, Leviticus 19.18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Jesus Himself was, was told, hey, can you give us the greatest commandment? He said, no, but I can sum up to sum everything up everything into to two commandments. And they are this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second is like it, that you love one another. Summing up the Old Testament law. And John will write even in his epistle as he speaks of love, he says, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. So how... How is this commandment new? Jesus calls it new. How is it new? Well, there's three main ways that I think this commandment is new. It has a new standard. Jesus says here that we are to love just, this is what He says, just as I have loved you. From the washing of the disciples' feet to the nails that are going to go in His own feet. That is the standard of what love is. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows, love the translations that say, but God demonstrates His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our society, it says that the standard for love is this, it's, it's sex or it's uh, butterflies in the stomach, it is feeling, it's all about feeling. And that is not a Christ-like love. A Christ-like love is a love that bleeds. It's a love that moves to serve others without caring what those people are going to do for you in return. See, this is where this simple statement is so profound. Loving people sounds easy. But what standard are you using to love them? Are you loving others as Christ has loved you? Ephesians 5.25 instructs husbands to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. You may say, husband, I love my wife. but Right. But do you love her like Christ loved the church, which is willing to just spill out His blood? Willing to go through immense amount of torture. Do you love your wife like that? And what this verse tells us is that really there's an instance, it's not just about husbands and wives, it's about all of us should seek to love one another like Christ loved us. With that love that bleeds. And folks, that's not easy. That's a lifelong, diligent pursuit. As a church, Wyatt says that we exist to love God, to love others, and make disciples. So make no mistake when we tell you that we as a church exist to love others. We're not saying we want you to go out and feel feelings about other people. We want you to go out and serve other people. We want you to go out and be Christ to other people. We want you to demonstrate the same kind of sacrificial love to others as He has done for all of us. That is what we mean when we say to love 
others. We also know that through the new covenant that Christ brings, He gives us a new desire to love. The old, the old covenant was written on stone, right? The new covenant is written on our hearts. It's a, a change of desire. It's a, it's a change of, of heart. And that's what the Spirit of God is, is working in us and, and will work in us if we would, would seek Him and ask for change. It would not be something that we do out of duty, but we, we do it because, man, He has so loved us that we want to share that beauty and that joy by going out and loving others. We also see a new central focal point. Who are we to have this special love for? He says here in our text three times that we are to love one another. This is a referencing to the love that believers should have for one another. There should be a unique and special love that we should have for one another, especially, specifically our fellow church members. So does this mean that, does this mean that we just have a selfish love, that we just love church members? Hey, you're a church member, I love you. But if you're out, if you're a member of another church or, or you're not a believer, then I'm not going to share love with you. No, of course not. When Jesus was asked to define your neighbor, what did he talk about? The good Samaritan, which was as far away from, from what they typically thought of. A, it's, a Jew would have thought a Samaritan was totally outside of their respect and love. And yet, Jesus said, that's your neighbor. So we are definitely, no matter who it is or what they believe or what their orientation is in life, it is, we're called to love them. But just as with your family, you know, with your kids or with your brothers and sisters, there's a special love that you have that maybe even in a family you don't have the same that you would have for your second cousin, right? There's a special, there's a, an, an inheritance you're going to give your children. Just a way, it doesn't mean you're going to go out and treat other family members bad or friends bad or acquaintances bad. It just means I have a special love for my immediate family. There's just a way that we're there for each other that we're not there for other people. But it doesn't mean we're not there for other people. I like how D.A. Carson says, says it about this text. He said, It is not so much that Christians are to love the world less as that we are to love one another more. Better put, their love for each other ought to be a reflection of their new status and experience as the children of God, reflecting the mutual love of the Father and the Son and imitating the love that has, has been shown them. Their love for the world is a love of compassion, of forbearance, of evangelism, of empathy, since all true Christians can never be more than mere beggars telling others where there is bread. And so it's just different types of love. And with our fellow believers, there's a love that's based upon Christ that is that should be strong. So can I ask you this morning, based off of that command, how are you loving those people sitting around you right now? How deep is your love for those sitting in the sanctuary? To what 
lengths would you go to serve and to protect them? To what effort would you go to, to seek and to, to give forgiveness to retain fellowship with them? Do you love them with the same kind of love that Jesus loved you? There's so much writing on this question of do we love one another? He says here in this text, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So our love for one another is one of the biggest apologetics that we have as Christians. Apologetics means proving your faith. It's one of the biggest ones we have. We, we should have a love for one another in this church that when outsiders look in, it baffles them. I mean, we live in a world where politically and, 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 and all kinds of uh, the race relations are not great right now in some ways. And, and so there's a lot of separation in our society. And so what, what the call is, is to be a place where when people look in here, they go, that's mind-blowing. People of different uh, races, different languages, different um, society, standards of society, some bosses, some employees, some people making lots of money, some people making minimum wage, and yet they come together and they have all in common because of Christ. And they look at it and they go, there's no other explanation for that other than the fact that there's a God. That the God that they say they worship is real because there's no other explanation for what's happening in there. We should have a love that finds its standard and power direct from the love of God. How many Baptist business meetings have been devoid of such love? I mean, I've, I've been here for 20 years. There's, there's a tiny amount of business meetings that I would have ever been ashamed for anybody to be looking in on. So I don't think we're terrible in this regard. But I've heard stories of, of other business meetings at other churches that are just devoid of love. That if the world would, would, if, would look in on a business meeting, they would go, what in the world is happening in there? There is no God there was a God, those people would know how to love one another. How many grudges have been held among church members? How many times have we neglected to pray for one another in times of need? How many times have one of us been in need and the brothers and sisters have not risen up to try to help? Folks, let us aim for a love that baffles the world. Let us aim for a love that makes the world say, there's a God. There's no other explanation than that there's a God. Look at the way those people treat each other. And concerning His departure, Jesus wants them to know that there will be days of doubt ahead. There will be days of doubt ahead. Peter said to Him, Lord, why can I not follow You now? I will lay down my life for You. Jesus answered, will You lay down Your life for Me? I mean, that, that's, 
It's a loaded question with what's coming next. Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So in light of Jesus' revelation about the fact that he's leaving, Peter's like, I want to go with you now. Jesus, I want you to know something, that I would lay down my life for you. And so I should be able to go with you. And Jesus' response is, oh, really? Is that the, you going to lay down your life for me? Peter, let me tell you what's about to happen. Before the rooster crows, there's going to be three times that you're going to deny that you even know me. And then we know that, that even though Peter, it was a betrayal, we know we're going to see uh, there's a beautiful picture at the end of John where, uh, where Peter is, gets, gets, you know, finds forgiveness and, and this great moment of, with Jesus by the fire. But, uh, so that there's going to be reconciliation, unlike with Judas. But Jesus wants, wants Peter to know, and I think he wants to, the rest of the disciples to know, guys, this fix to get really hard. Your shepherd is about to be you're about to be taken out. And and especially in the confusion of my arrest and my crucifixion, you guys are gonna be scattered. It's gonna be very hard. You're not gonna fully understand what's happening. Even the most confident of you, Peter, will be in such a place where you will deny that you know me. So we all need to be careful when you feel strong because you may not be far from a fall. Peter thought that he was a solid follower of Christ and he would never let him down and he let him down before sundown or sunrise. Folks, I think the dialogue ahead, um, the next four chapters are just, man, they're beautiful. I think we're really in for some uh, some great times together in the weeks ahead. So... Um, be here, uh, be engaged in these wonderful lessons from Christ as He begins to look towards His departure. Let us today be moved by Christ's teachings here on His departure. It's, let us meditate on the glorification of Christ. Let us think about the great love that He had for us to lay down His life for us. And let us, let us have a longing. As Christ has said, listen, you can't go with me now, but you can come to me later. Let us long for that. Let us love our city. Let's love our country. Let's love our world, absolutely. But let us realize that our home is with Christ and to look towards that. And until we are with Christ, until we're there in Christ's presence, let us love one another. Let our business meetings, let our interactions on Sunday morning, let our requests of prayer be made known to each other. Let us pray for one another. When we know that one of us is in a hurting situation, may we be a people that surround those people, that carry those burdens for one another. Because it's one of the most important apologetics we have is for the world to look in and go, that church knows how to love each other. Maybe God is real. Maybe they are His disciples.
Let's long for that. Let's aim for that. Let's strive for that. I'm going to ask you to please stand and we're going to have a word of prayer as our musicians come. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank You for the glorification of Christ. I thank You for how You glorified one another. And God, how one day You will glorify us because we're in Christ. God, help us to long to be with You even while we'll love, we're loving this world, and even while we're loving people, help us to long to be in your presence. God, help us to be a church. God, if there's any grudges here, if there's any hurt feelings here, God, that, that those would be made right today, that those would be confess to one another and and forgiveness would be sought and it would be given freely so that we can be a church that that can tell the world look in look at how we love each other God we want to be that kind of church help us it's not an easy thing to do help us to love one another as you have loved us in Jesus name I pray